Blog Talk Radio. Hi and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Today we are joined by our guest host, filmmaker Heather Lenz. She enjoys telling true stories of trailblazers, underdogs, and people who have not walked the beaten path. Lenz is both both known for her Kusama Infinity film, a feature-length documentary about artist Yayoi Kusama. It premiered at the Sundance Film Festival and received international distribution. Heather will be interviewing Elizabeth I. She's a Los Angeles-based Emmy Award-winning producer, and today they will discuss her recently released documentary, A Woman's Work, the NFL's Cheerleader Problem, which she wrote and produced. It just premiered on PBS's Independent Lens, and will be available on demand beginning January 26th. Heather and Elizabeth, I want to thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Claire. It's good to be here, and thanks, Elizabeth, for joining us. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's been an interesting morning with the inauguration going on. Yeah, it certainly has. An epic day. Well, I'd like to start by having you introduce a woman's work and tell us a bit about the film. Yes, so where do I start? Um, Should I give a little bio about it? I mean, not bio, a little logline about it? or? Yeah, why don't you? For anyone who hasn't heard about it, we'll give them a little bit of information about what the film is about. Surely. Um, Well, you know, I I think the title says it all. Um, It's called A Woman's Work, the NFL's Cheerleader Problem, and um, that title alone, it took a while for us to come up with it. We've just been shooting around that this was like the NFL's problem, and we got there from years and years of working on it, but really that is the crux of the film. It's, it is a, a film that focuses on wage equity and exploitation of the laborers and the only visible women in the NFL um, through, the lens of the, through the lens of the NFL to um, just expose this kind of injustice that that's happening across all industries, not just the NFL. Um, if you had a chance to see the film or if you get a chance to see the film, you'll see that we kind of tap into this um, very long legacy of exploitation through um, various places in our film. Yeah, I I was um, shocked when I watched the film. Could you just give us an idea of just how poorly these cheerleaders are being paid for their work? Yes, so um, they, well, this came out in 2014. That was when the story broke. And, you know, for us, we didn't know how long this had been going on. It was just like a news article at first. And then diving into the research, we realized that it was from its very inception. So for over 50 years, NFL cheerleaders have not been paid. And, of course, early on in the start, it was just like people who were volunteers. But it it took a very short time for them to figure out how to capitalize on that. So uh, for those 
50 plus years, cheerleaders were um, asked to volunteer, asked to dance, asked to do all these things, and they were never paid. And it was only in more recent years, like I'd say the last uh, couple of decades when they started to get stipends um, for game day, yet they were practicing, uh, you know, for months and months until uh, season began, they would um, have to pay for their own makeup, pay for their cheerleading uniforms, their shoes, traveling, gas, mileage from games out of town or to other volunteer opportunities. And none of that stuff was paid, and we exposed that through the film. Um, and it was really, you know, the NFL dastardly for doing all of these things, uh, but none of this was exposed until 2014. That was the first, you know, our, our main character exposed this, um, story and it was just kind of a floodgate opened up of all the kind of kinds of things that they had to endure, not just on the wage equity side, but also we realized there was a, a lot of emotional and um, uh, there was a lot of emotional kind of baggage that they were carrying around from the things that they had to, uh, the contracts that they had to sign to, you know, stay silent, like a gag order. Yes, these uh, non-disclosure agreements, they're very harmful in many fields and typically to women. Um, now, in the film, I was surprised uh, to learn that um, if they don't show up on time, for example, they actually have to pay a cash penalty, even though they're not even being paid to show up to these practice events. One of the things I found um, pretty shocking. And, and just to clarify, um, I know the answer to this from watching the film, but I'd like you to talk a little bit about it. Are these women even being paid minimum wage? I believe they are now um, for a number of reasons. And do you want me to speak a little bit about the history of minimum wage and how that came about? Uh, well, if you want to, you can. I was just sort of trying to clarify just how bad the payment is. <laughs> but um, – Yes, absolutely. So, so yeah. they were getting paid stipends on game day. Of uh, some of them were getting two uh, passes, parking passes to the game, and that would be one for them and one for somebody else that can come to the game, plus like a a guest pass to watch them on the sidelines. That so that was wow. from the company. So they would practice by their uniforms. There would be zero payment, and they were like, "Your benefit is." you get to invite somebody to come watch you on the sidelines and they get a parking pass. So that was one form of payment. That's from Maria, I believe. And then um, some other women can get anywhere. You know, we've interviewed a lot of women and some didn't make it into the film, but some was like, I got paid $25 on game day, $50 on game day, $100 on game day. So each each team kind of set up their own rules and what they would, uh, how they would compensate. And so uh, – yeah, it wasn't it wasn't something that was consistent throughout the league, but it was uh, very very low pay, and you know, uh, 50 days on game day isn't going to cut the 25 hours that I've been practicing during the week to get to game day where I spend 12 hours. It doesn't even cover that uh, day. Right. Yes, it is shocking, especially for an organization that's bringing in so much cash. Now, in the film, I thought you did a great job of setting up just how athletic these cheerleaders are and how much time they're putting in, not just during a season, but leading up to even getting picked. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the way you set that up in the film. Yeah, so I think that's really interesting because, you know, we don't, we don't question um, 
a uh, a Kobe Bryant or a Michael Jordan, like how athletic they've been their entire lives as they get up on this grand stage. So that was really important for us because uh, we saw a lot of the, the feedback and the vitriol from the Facebook communities or the social media where people are like, we don't need them. Who are these people? They're just a bunch of, and I won't say what the expletives that were used uh, against these cheerleaders when these lawsuits came out. But that was a major thing between me and I very early on. We talked about, like, we have to show the work. We have to show that these women are athletes, that they have been training their entire lives. They have been dancers and gymnasts, and, you know, they've been doing this. They didn't just show up pretty one day and end up on a field. So um, that was took a long time weaving and figuring out how to show it beyond just using archival, beyond just, you know, um, old photographs. We, we talked about how we would collect these things uh, up until um, getting a stylized shoot to, you know, additionally show that we, you know, we can capture this footage in a beautiful way in these recreations um, to just kind of give it that um, – a glorified moment, as a lot of athletes do, you know, when you see a lot of, uh, like, ads that Nike or Gatorade or, you know, they like, look at this, this guy is on this grand stage or on this pedestal, and him sweating and working hard is why we, you know, want to buy this product or, or endorse this person or why we are fans of this human being. So on that same way, like, we wanted to show it in many, many different ways, not just them saying it, but but seeing it um, through old footage up until present day. Yeah, I thought the recreations were really beautiful, but I also was thinking in particular about how you set up um, this person put in this many hours per week for this many years um, taking dance class or um, cheerleading in high school or whatever it was leading up to the point that they even got picked to be a cheerleader. So I thought that was great. Um, could you talk yeah, a that, little bit about how you Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, that that took a lot of work as well. That was like asking about the years, asking each person, and just kind of laying that groundwork out. I mean, that definitely was something that helped, um, I'd say, move post-production along, move the conversations about how this film would come together and just quantify it as a, a structure to build um, to start show show it in the very beginning, like how much time they spent to like seeing the time they actually spent in the courtrooms just to fight for, you know, a legal minimum wage. Yeah, it's shocking. I, um, you know, of course, during the making of the film, the Me Too movement happened. And I would like to hear about how that impacted your ability to get the film made. But I must say, I've often thought there should be hashtag, which I think should be hashtag money too, because this wage inequality problem based on gender is just so prevalent across so many industries? Um, I would be remiss not to talk about how long we've been in this to, to get up to the Me Too movement. But uh, I was laughing about it this morning as I was talking to my husband. I was just like, I can't believe that I've been working on this film for three different presidencies. <laughs> but we have. And Heather, you know you've been working on or you've worked on films for some of them like Yoy for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but we started off during the Obama presidency, and you know, at that time, we were going around pitching this film and telling people about this film, and it was just—it fell on a lot of deaf ears. People were like, "Why are you making this film? Why about these people? You know, uh, what misogyny? What uh, 
we, we aren't in that space. We, why, is, why are you talking about wage equity? Like it's, you know, we're almost at parity right now. So it felt like nobody was hearing what we were saying, even though we knew there were like these great injustices across all these industries and specifically focused on compensation in the workplace. Um, yeah. And it wasn't until it happened, you know, uh, Trump, you know, the, tr- the first year Trump was in office, it was 2017, and we started to hear a lot more about, you know, women and feminism and, like, standing up against a lot of the things that his uh, just presence brought on. It was always there, but I think, like, it had just gotten to this kind of, like, critical mass, and we were hearing about it, and then the Me Too movement happened that fall, and after, you know, three years of pitching this film, it started to click for other people, like, that this made sense in this moment, and uh, it opened up a lot of funding for us at that point on. Um, so we, you know, we, we definitely benefited from, uh, strangely Trump being in office and putting this, these issues on blast. And I think a lot of the, the, the funders, uh, started to understand what we were talking about. Um, so, you know, I think, I don't know what you mean about the Me Too movement, but it definitely ushered in a lot of funding for us and the conversations got a lot easier, with people we were already talking to that didn't quite understand the issues we were exploring. Well, yeah, it's great to hear. I know uh, what a, a you know uphill uh, challenge it can be to get funding for a film. Um, so could you talk a little bit about how the financing came together, who came in first, how did you get involved with ITVS? Yes. Um, I do remember, I believe, it was at the end of 2014, and uh, I found out that we got funding from Tribeca. It was like the first one. It was it was definitely the seed money. We we're super excited. It was um, through their Tribeca All Access program, and I'm so sad Tribeca Institute doesn't exist anymore. Hopefully, it's a temporary thing. Um, but they were the first people that believed in our story and. Um, really helped us move along and that was very important for us. I mean not only not only because it was financial but we it was the first time we got to go out and pitch the project um, that that coming spring in 2015 to uh, a lot of funders um, to tell them about the film and our mission and what you know what were the bigger goals for making a film about this um, and then after that I want to say, I want to say that ITVS was the next funder. I don't remember everything because I think there are a, a, a dozen different people that had funded this film, um, and mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact order, but I do believe it was ITVS next, and we got their diversity development fund. So that was later uh, in the year, I believe, in 2015. So it was tried that I believe it was just them that first year, and then in 2016, I believe we got another funder, and I won't say who it is because I don't remember um, the order, but I do I remember that first year was uh, just we were so excited about the Tribeca money and the ITVS money. So ITVS was on pretty early. That's great. I know those ITVS grants are super competitive. Um, So congratulations on that. So I'd like to move um, forward and hear a little bit about the new film that you're working on. Yes. Um, Where do I start? It's called New Wave. Um, It's about um, 
Vietnamese refugee youth from the 80s that created a scene uh, out of the, you know, the title the, of the movie New Wave, a, a, a scene that they called New Wave from, from Euro disco music. Um, and I just, you know, I, I've been primarily a producer all of my career. I've done some, you know, um, branded content I've directed here and there, like little short things, but I wouldn't say anything this high stakes. So um, I don't know if there's like this huge career for me in directing, but I knew that this one was very personal. And while I was pregnant with my um, daughter a couple of years ago, I just started to think about like the kind of stories that I would leave behind. You know, as a maker, I have been helping and fostering and nurturing other directors to realize their visions and talk to them and collaborate with them about all of these things. And, you know, it's, all of these stories that I worked on have resonated with me in some way, but this one in particular, I just felt like the Vietnam War and Vietnamese people have been linked for so long. So you talk to a Vietnamese person or you think about a Vietnamese person in the news uh, because of how it's been portrayed in, in news and media. Everybody is like, oh, yes, the Vietnam War, like that's it. Like we are, we are not a war, we are a people, and we have evolved, you know, from that end of it. 45, 46 years, I guess we're coming upon 46 years this year from the end of the war. And I just wanted to leave a story behind about the resettlement, the rebuilding and the rebirth of a people, you know, the, the Vietnamese diaspora, there are millions of us around the globe. Um, and there wouldn't have been, had there not been, you know, the American occupation um, in Vietnam. So I just, um, I just chose something that was fun, something that would, I believe would resonate with a lot of people, something that could draw people in, but we, that, that could also talk about much deeper issues. Yeah. Well, I've seen some of the photos, and they look great. I know you recently participated in the film independent docuseries lab uh, with this film, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you learned in that and whether you are thinking of this as a film or a series or both. Um, you know, that I'm so grateful that I've been a part of that. It was a really great exploration of the feature as uh, a series. So I, I've been working on New Wave for the past couple of years, and I um, I have come upon so much research. Um, I would be remiss not to talk about um, all of the musicians and um, types of music that came before that particular moment that I'm focused on, which is the 80s, which is 10 years after the resettlement of the diaspora. But, like, while I was in my research, it just was, like, you know, years and years and decades and centuries of music that had come before these people. And a lot of those elders were the ones who had reestablished um, the music here in America, in Orange County. I just looked at that and said, you know, there's a lot more here than the feature film that I'm making. And I just, um, I just decided to talk a little bit about that when I was applying for the docuseries lab and just to see if there was something there. And, and I guess they, um, felt it had potential. So being in the lab was just talking about um, how I could see it turning into a limited series. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I We were able to like speak to various mentors in the group. We kind of heard from um, 
people that were established veterans talking about their experience making series, um, and we were able to share our pitches. So in a, in a way, it was just to like hear other people's experiences and have an, uh, a forum to workshop our pitches. So that's what I got out of the the program. Um, and I, I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, no. It, uh, I know series are very popular right now, and I've been hearing a lot of people say, for example, that um, uh, basically the trend seems to be making content that's very, I, I guess the word is addictive, where it ends with a cliffhanger and you just want to binge watch it. And that, um, for example, I've heard that um, shows that are more like uh, – have their own, you know, beginning, middle, and end. For example, a series about the presidents, that that doesn't have that sort of addictive uh, uh, thing happening. And, and so I wonder, is that something that you talked about in the workshop? Um, I don't know if we talked about devices to use to keep people coming back, um, but we did talk about the machinations of how we could sustain viewership. So I, I don't know if we were talking about, like, it has to be a cliffhanger because, you know, some people came in and they pitched um, a show on uh, food or on farming. And I think that, you know, very specifically, I think they're, uh, it's more episodic than it is serialized. So, of course, you know, mm-hmm. uh, everybody says character is king, but um, – you know, like, how would you drive, you know, I guess, a, a show like um, Chef's Table, right? It's like really the character is for one episode, but you come back because you are food curious. So I, I think, I don't think we really explored any of that. And, and But if you're talking about my specific project, I think it would be, I, I would be leaning into the strength of something that people have never heard about people have never seen this and like the music is fun and it's catchy and it's just um you know i i guess if you're talking about oh, is there a cliffhanger did you do this or that i'm like i don't think so i don't think there's anything really gimmicky about the story that i'm telling it's like a piece of history that nobody's ever heard about and needs to be preserved um yeah well i can't wait to see it um so for new filmmakers who are listening, what kind of advice would you give them, especially, uh, you know, with all of your producing experience? For example, um, when you're evaluating a project, what kind of things are you looking at um, to see if it's something that you want to get involved with that seems viable, like you can actually make it? I would love to hear any producing tips from you. Um, I have always and for better or for worse um used my heart to guide me in that place mm-hmm. and I, I still do and I think I think you know now there's a little bit more of like using my head and my heart but before it would just be like do I like this person do I want to spend a lot of time with this person so we goo we spent so much time together like we I, I'm not joking we literally shared the same bed uh many a night <laughs> to make this film because you're like that's what we could afford on our budget or she and I you know when the money ran out or before the money started you know would book a place and go film somewhere and we would be sharing a bed 
Um, right. And so that was one of that is one of those key things, especially in documentary, because it it goes on for a long time, unlike a uh, you know a fiction piece where you you're in it for at least in the aspect of production for three months and then you're out and. Um, so, yeah, for me, the first step is, like, do you really like this person? Can you spend a lot of time with them? Do you have alignment? Um, do you share the same values or uh, in a lot? You know, you have to talk about a lot of these things, or at least for me, a lot of that. I want to know where does this story come from? Why is this personal to you? Why do you want to do this? Um, so I feel like a lot of it for me is first kind of like that dating phase, and you see if this is something that you can collaborate with. Um, and on. I think a lot of people have this misconception that uh, producers are, I don't know, they they do paperwork and they uh, they find funding and that's the only thing. But no, we have we have you know our our hearts and our minds and we are putting our lives into this thing just as much as the director, if not more. Sometimes you you know the work continues on and um, they you know, they've done their, their job in the directing seat and you're, you're still here, like, supervising things going on. Like, right, right now I'm thinking about some friends that I spoke to recently about a, a fiction project that they're doing. And, yeah, I think that if you can align with the story and it speaks to you and you can align with the filmmaker and you believe that you share the same vision or you can support the same vision, um, that would be the first place. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And do you have any tips about how producers and directors can best work together? I have been saying this for years, and really it's just, I think the best thing after you get past that first phase that I talked about is really defining the relationship. Really defining the relationship is writing all those things down, like who's going to do what, uh, when will we do those things, like really just, Putting it on a timeline, I think the most basic thing that you can do is, like, let's say for a documentary, there are three um, deadlines coming up for a workshop and a lab and a grant, and who is going to be doing what part of it? Um, How are we going to be doing it? When are we going to have check-ins? Kind of just the basic things that you think you would do for any job. You know, people have to, like, have some sort of scope of work and then just really define and divide and conquer those tasks together and kind of have a place where there is overlap so that you're um, understanding what what each party brings to the table. A lot of times for documentaries, um, you know, it's, it's pretty equal on the early end, and then it kind of like splinters as you get towards post, you know, because you obviously bring in more teammates and other um, smart, collaborative people to help on the project. Yeah, that's great advice. Is there anything else you would like to add about any of these projects or any of your work that I haven't asked you about? No. Are we coming up upon time? I didn't know if uh, this we were supposed to – and, well, um, well, we can we we have about a half an hour to forty five minutes, so I'm happy to ask you some other things if you'd like me if you'd like to keep going. Yeah, surely I have time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I just um, wanted to be mindful. I didn't know if like the the radio thing was gonna just cut us off, turn us off. End. No, it won't. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's go back to the cheerleader film a bit. Um, aside from financing, could you talk about any obstacles that you faced um, and, and how did you overcome those obstacles? 
<laughs> so many obstacles. Uh, I think just the obstacle of time, that was really hard for us. There were um, other projects that came out into the world. I'd say that we worked on this film, If we, you know, we started in 2014. I think we got the article at the top of 2014 when the story broke in February. I didn't get involved until like the late spring. She kind of sent it over to me, and then by the summer we were already collaborating that year. But we, and now it's 2021, so the film finally got broadcast on ITV, you know, on PBS, on Independent Lens, and that, it just took a lot of time to find the funding, you know, shoot the film, uh, you know, and then get into post and then do our pickups, do our stylized shoot, get, you know, finish off the film, um, deliver it, and then now, you know, we finally are at this pace, but seven years, almost seven years have passed. And I, I saw other, you know, we've seen other projects come out into the world. I'd say I, I, they, they aren't of the similar topics, but it is of the same subject, like there are cheerleader projects that have come out into the world, uh, even though we started before them. So I think that that was yeah. a big obstacle, and I know that every filmmaker, every um, producer has, you know, funding on their mind. Like, how do you how do you get this project funded? Unless, of course, you know, you know a billionaire or somebody who's just going to bankroll whatever it is that you want to do, which is rare. So um, that was really tough for us. Like, you know, you see, even if it was a short film that came out, you're just like, ah, that made it out into the world. Um, and we're happy that those things came out because I think maybe in a way they also encouraged us and kind of opened up uh, a little bit of the conversation, even though they were talking about different things. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel like that was a, a major one. I don't know if you want to say, like, story. Story was really hard. Like, we talk, we had um, – a story consultant. We worked with this woman, Jen Arnold, who Sundance, you know, one of our funders so graciously um, had allowed for us or like created a space for us to, you know, even before we were in the edit to like beat out the story. She came and like helped us, you know, talk about the story, talk about the central thesis of the film. And we kind of broke that all down in, in index cards with her, kind of like this forced, uh, timeline where we're like we have we have a few days with her and we're going to just start like figuring it out even though we haven't finished shooting um mm-hmm. where we want to go with the story uh in a way that we hadn't done before so i'd say that there were so many iterations of making our index cards um we and i and and then getting getting our amazing editor victoria um that again you know really helped transform this the story and this film and where it was going. But again, that, you know, that whole process started over um, when Victoria joined uh, the team. I see. And do you feel like there was ever a point where the women in the film were frustrated or asking you, Hey, when is the film going to be done? Uh, you know, I'd say on the early side, it was more difficult, like, building that rapport with them. I think that was a big part of it is, like, um, because we uh, – we is also the, you know, a cinematographer and a shooter, and she 
at first was I had to be behind the camera a lot, but also had to build the rapport. So I came along for a lot of the shoots on the early side to help build that rapport. And I think that, you know, they were very standoffish because, you know, this was on, uh, like, national headlines when they first filed all these class action lawsuits against their teams. And we just um, turned talking to these women, letting them know where we come from, why this is important to us. A lot, you know, a lot of the same kind of conversations that you, you're like, do I want to get into this relationship with this person? Because it's a very collaborative process. It's not like, I'm not going to say we were flies on the wall at all. It, it was like, how much would they let us in would really be determined by how much they trusted us. And we had to build that trust and ask them for their, their collaboration and their participation. So um, I say that, that on the early side, the first couple of years is really um, building that trust with our characters. And I'd say, like, even in the third year, I still say that there was more because we couldn't be there all the time. Like, you know, one of our subjects right. was in um, Florida, and then she moved to London, and we had to follow her out there. And then another subject lived in Buffalo. So, you know, phone calls and text messages weren't cutting it. I think really it was that time there. So I'd say the first two or three years was just um, relationship building. And then on the uh, and then as they trusted us and they started to see um, – you know, the, we had like little articles written about the film and us being in labs and us getting funding. So I think that that also coming out and then seeing the truth behind our um, project uh, really opened them up more. So I, I say that in terms of our subjects being like, when is this going to be done? I'm over it. I, maybe on the the first couple of years, they're like, what's happening? You showed up like three or four times in these last couple of years, like, is this ever going to be done? Because two years would pass. But, you know, you know now they're uh, the director specifically, we goo and um, our subjects, Lacey and Maria, I, I'd say they're BFFs because they, I know that they're chatting and texting and, you know, on social media together all the time. Yeah, makes sense. I know how hard it is when you don't have a lot of funding at the beginning of a project and, um, you know, you're limited in the decisions you can make about what you're going to spend money on. And so it is really challenging. Could you talk a little bit about how releasing the film during a pandemic um, is going? Obviously you've released other films at other times and I'm sure you've had a lot more, um, FaceTime with audiences and had the experience of people coming up to you from the audience talking about the film. But in this case, the Q and A's and things are virtual. So could you just talk a little bit about how that's affecting things? Yes. Well, I will, I will have to say that we got very, very, very lucky. Our world premiere, um, our film was in competition at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2019. So that first 2019 I, and I'd say almost a, a full year, we had the privilege to, you know, tour the film around the country, uh, show up a lot, have Q&As in person. So that was really, really gratifying. Um, and I don't know, I, I feel like we didn't miss any opportunities on that side. In terms of the broadcast, I feel like it's it's a little different because we, our film was supposed to be out in 2020, but you know, it it was an election year, and I think we found out very early on that our film was slated for football season 2020 that just passed. Um, and then they, they basically told us that we have to move it because of everything else going on in 2020 to the, the broadcast date that we had this past January 4th. Um, 
So I, I don't know if we miss that many opportunities in terms of in-person, but I do think particularly right now because of the broadcast, we, we made it work. We, I, we goo, I'm sorry, every time I say we, I want to, like, clarify that it's the director. The director did um, – she, she did an excellent job. She kind of really masterminded how to have these uh, virtual screenings with a team of um, really amazing women um, that have helped us with social media and marketing and planning these events. And, um, yeah, they're, they're still happening right now, I believe. Great. And um, this is a question people don't – or a topic people don't discuss probably enough. Could you talk a little bit about working with your composer on the film? Yes. Um, I can't speak to that, but it, I know it was a very gratifying process for um, Wegu, the director, and Allison Newman. They spent a lot of time together, and our co-producer um, – Jin Yu Kim uh, was made this introduction. I believe they were a USC alum together, and so yeah, she she made this introduction to Ali Newman and Wee Goo and her really hit it off. And I know that there was a lot of time spent in her studio, and um, she you know out the gate even with the temp music really uh, knocked it out of the park and. Um, there was a little bit of collaboration with the editor in terms of, like, how to um, refine the cues so we work in the film. And I know that there was still tweaking for our broadcast. So we, our broadcast was slightly shorter than our um, feature length. We had, like, a 75-minute cut, and then it became, like, a 56-minute cut for broadcast. Um, so I know that there was some tweaking of the, the cues as well for um, the broadcast cut. Yeah, I also had the opportunity to work with Allie, and she's really great. Um, oh, so I yes, guess the yes, last. I love it on yeah, so I guess the last uh, main thing I'd like to ask you about. We talked a little bit about it before, but what are really the components you look for when you're deciding whether or not to take on a project? I know you said you you approach it from your heart, and now you think a little bit more from your brain. But if there were maybe three components you you sort of want to check off on a box, what would they be? Okay, well, I would I will repeat myself. Again, is that all right? Because it is going to oh. be, do I want to spend a lot of time with, as a producer, do I want to spend a lot of time with this director? Because I know that that is going to happen. Like, there's just no way out of it. It can't be like, oh, right. I love this right. project. The script is so good. And, I'm, you know, I speak, I straddle both, like, narrative and um, nonfiction or documentary filmmaking. So whether it uh, starts off with a treatment or a pitch or, you know, a pitch deck or something that they share with me, um, that is number one, do I want to spend a lot of time with this person? Number two, do I like this project? Why do I want to make it? Why do I want to have skin in the game on this particular project? Because I know how invested I will be. Um, and then three, I I wonder, I feel like those two are so big, and I think three, I, I would Think about it, I guess, from the business aspect. Is there an audience for this? Um, but I say that it is the most minor part. If it was a pie and there are three parts to it, it's like, do I want to spend a lot of time with this person? Do I like this project? Do I love? Will I love this project? Um, 
And the third party really is there an audience. I feel like that is the smallest part because you just make the best film that you possibly can with the collaborators that you um, have and the audience will come. And I don't know if I'm working, if that sounds really, you know, uh, stupid, but I think those are the two parts that are really important to me. And the third part is like, you know, can I get this out into the world where there be an audience? And that's kind of always like, I'm not thinking about that too much because I, I believe that a good story will find its audience. Well, I love hearing that because I know a lot of people um, prioritize it differently and they're automatically number one thinking about um, how big is the audience and how many followers does this subject have on social and these kinds of things. And, and instead of thinking about maybe, wow, this is an untold story that, that um, I could be the one to tell and, and, and getting excited about that. So I guess um, at this point um, where people can watch um, the women's work film. Um, well, I do believe it's um, now you can get it on iTunes. So Great. you can, yes, you can get it on iTunes. And um, I believe, oh, I think it just wrapped. It was the, from the 4th to the 18th. Um, it was on. It was on PBS. I believe it'll come back out on PBS in some capacity again. But right now, it, you can or you can order it on iTunes. Well, great. And can you just um, also let us know how we can follow updates also on New Wave? Maybe you could just kind of recap your social handles, or if you want to give us your website, or how people can reach you. What, whatever you want to do, so people can follow sure, you sure. and keep up with uh, what on, you're doing. On Instagram. I guess on Instagram and Facebook, you can find um, that new project I'm working on at New Wave Documentary. And you can find um, a woman's work doc uh, on Instagram and Facebook as well. And um, I don't know if there, there are any other social handles you need, but uh, I'm Elizabeth I, and WeGoo is also on, um, on the, the platforms. Great. Could you just spell her name for people? Yes, it is Y-U-G-U. Her first name Terrific. is Y-U and, and last name G-U. Thank you so much. This has been really informative and interesting, and I love these films you're working on. And um, we just really appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you so much, Heather. I really appreciate this. And it's so great to connect after so many years Uh you know, we, I don't know if we, people know that we worked on a project together, I guess, almost a decade ago. Um, I know. It's hard so. to believe. It's hard to believe. It's hard to so believe. So time flies. <laughs> but, um, okay. Anyway, well, and thank you. With you. Yeah, and thank you, Claire, for setting us up here today. Thank you, Claire. Yes, it, it was a Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome, Elizabeth and Heather, both of you. It was a, a great pleasure having you here with us. Thank you. All right. Well, I hope everyone has a good day, and I guess that's the end of our, the end of my first uh, guest hosting uh, show. Yes, and we right. look forward to the next you, Heather. All right. Be All well, right. Everyone. Thank you so much. Thank bye you. Bye. Take care. Bye bye.